You are listening to the Bridge Community Church Podcast out of Warrington, Virginia. Our church exists to connect you to God, others, and the marketplace. For more information, you can visit us online at bridge4life.com. Thank you for listening, and we hope you are blessed by today's message. So today is going to be the last message associated with this series I've started uh, actually a couple months ago, The Need for the Supernatural. This will be the eighth message. And so in today's uh, reading, we're going to be reading from four different passages. They're somewhat brief, so I'm going to ask everybody to stand, if you would, for the reading of the Word. We're going to go to four different passages, and the first one is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Come on, everybody read with me. For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And then 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then Matthew 4, 4. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then Ephesians uh, 6, verses 17 through 18. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Now Jesus, I pray as we look at the word that it helps us to grow and to develop. Not just in our relationship with you, but also your word helps us to grow in relationship with other people. And so I pray your blessing, your favor. As they hear my voice, I pray they would hear your voice speaking inside of them. Lord, we trust that you know what each person in this room needs today. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. 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 The Lord bless you. Be seated. As I said, this will be the last message associated with the series, The Need for the Supernatural. And I've always had a, a set of comments that I've done to set this up, and I'm going to do that again today. But why did I do it? Why have I done a series on the need for the supernatural? Because we find uh, American Christianity has drifted away from believing in the supernatural. They actually are desupernaturalizing the Bible. And you find that they are taking away many of the things that you read in the Bible. Oh, yeah, yeah, they did it then, but you know that doesn't happen anymore today, and you don't... In fact, you kind of sometimes find yourself this. I understand when I engage somebody who's not a follower of Christ and they make the statement to me, like, you really believe everything in that book? I go, yeah, absolutely. I believe God does those things. But it's a whole different kind of conversation when you're talking to another uh, follower of Christ and they say, oh, so you're a follower of Jesus. Yeah, yeah, and we're, we're talking. And then they make the statement, so do you believe that God actually still does all that? I'm like, oh, wait a minute, you're a follower of Christ. Wow, so when did, when did followers of Christ start backing away from believing what the Bible says that God does? And, and then I guess, you know, it's kind of like opens a Pandora's box. Like how are you trying to, how do you decipher what he does and what he does not do? This is interesting. We're a follower, but now you're going to tell me what he does and does not do. This is interesting because I didn't, I didn't know it. God had a clause, you know, where he canceled things. Yeah. So, 
Part of this is driven by the fact that we have a number of religious leaders, and this is not meant to be a put down, because I, some of them are friends of mine, I converse with them. But a number of, of religious leaders, pastors, have not experienced the supernatural. So they've come to the conclusion, therefore, since God didn't do it for them, then he must not do that. And they, they will say, hey, it's just really awkward for me to try to stand up and tell people that God does these things when he's never done it for me. And I share my story, and they go, you know, man, that's great that God does that for you, and I'm glad you believe that, and, but, you know, but God never did that for me, and I just find it somewhat hypocritical to stand up and tell them, you know, people that God does these things, and if they ask me, I'd have to say, no, I've never experienced that. And I go, well, dude, that's like standing up and saying, well, I've never been to China, so it can't exist. I mean, you've you got to be careful by the fact that somehow God's, uh, what God can do is defined by only your experiences. No, God is way bigger than my experiences. And so some of that is based on the reality that I've experienced him, and some of it is still based on the fact that I still have faith and trust that he can. But I am not going to put God inside the box of my experience because suddenly then he's not God, I am. It's an unintended consequence of holding that mindset if you go there. And so uh, desupernaturalizing the Bible now has led to a series of doctrinal shifts and changes. And I, I don't have to delve into this hardly at all. I, you know, I'm not, I think many of you know you're watching fellowships and churches just literally turn the Bible on its head and flipping around in, in, the, in their belief systems and what they're preaching and telling people. And it's causing confusion. It's causing angst. It's causing division. And they didn't see the unintended consequence of proclaiming, well, whatever principles you use to dismantle the fact that God does the supernatural, those, whatever principles you're using, now you can start dismantling all of the doctrines. Whenever you find something discomforting, it's the same set of principles, just dismantle. And so it's, I'm going to read, we're going to look at some scriptures today, and I'm going to kind of give you a little window again into part of my life. Early when I was going into the ministry, even though I was raised in Christianity, and even though I was raised in a, I'll just put it out there, you know, it was a Pentecostal church, so we always believed that God did these things. You know, you come to a point in time in your life where you start to go, yeah, I think I need to discover this on my own. Not that I'm turning my back on my faith, but I believe what I believe because I've been told but I can't say that I've really done the homework. I can't say I've really put in the effort. And there were two things that really drove this kind of mindset. Number one, I recognized that people who were in the cults looked at me the way that I looked at them. I look at them and go, bless your heart. You were born into the cult. You've never done any, you know, so you, don't, you wouldn't know the truth because you, and then they don't let you check it out. You know, so your cult is don't ask questions, just listen and do. And so when they would say, so, you know, have you, do you know, have you looked around? Have you checked things out? I said, no, I, was, I, I found my answer was the same as theirs. I was like, wow, you know, I've, I can't say that I know because I can't say that I've checked it out. I can't say I've done the homework. I can't say that I've delved into it. It wasn't a turning away from my faith. It was taking ownership of my faith. I needed to know that I knew that it was the truth, not because somebody had now told me. I checked it out. The second thing that, that fueled that, well, I was fortunate, once one year, uh, my roommate, he ended up being the valedictorian of the class. It did not rub off, <laughs> not even close. And, uh, but he came from uh, an, uh, a background where he wasn't raised in church. He was raised in Chicago. And uh, uh, so he came to Christ and then <laughs> came to Chicago. Yeah. We'll get it right. All right, let's back it all up here. 
He was from Chicago, accepted Christ, came to college. Did you get that right now? And um, so he was at school, he was really on a journey just trying to learn everything that I had been told. Okay, So we were coming from two different angles. He's like, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't have a heritage. Every, every, everything's new. So he's just, I mean, he's, he's reading books that aren't even assigned to a homework assignment. That's why he's valedictorian. So, I mean, he's just going at it. So we did have some good dialogue because we, we seemed to have the same questions, but we were coming at it from different angles. He was coming from, I don't know this. I never was raised in it. But I was coming from, yeah, I was raised in it, but I can't say that I've ever done the homework to know that I know that I know. So we had some great dialogues. And so some of this that I'm sharing this morning were some things that really helped me through that window of time in my life where I say took ownership of my faith. And what I learned was this. It's not necessarily, I don't have a line for you to see this, but so just I found out the hard questions were answered in the simple verses. You know, sometimes we go to God's Word and we're just looking for that remote passage that I've passed over a thousand times. And boom, there it is, or one that I'm just not familiar with. And I found that if I slowed it down and I just read some scriptures that I knew really well, those basic verses answered the hard questions. And I'm going to take you a little bit on this journey. So number one, read it out loud. God's, it's, God's word is alive and active. Now, some of you go, well, yeah, I've heard that before. Hang on a second. It says, for the word of God, this is Hebrews 4, 8, for the word of God is alive and, sh- and active, sharper than any a, a double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. In that first part, it is alive and active. Then why is it that some people are saying that there are parts of the Bible that are no longer alive? It doesn't say some of the Bible. It doesn't say parts of the Bible. It says the Word of God, all of it, is alive and active. But yet, some people take an approach and will say, yeah, but there's parts of the Bible, you know, no longer, so you're telling me it's no longer alive. You're telling me it's dormant. You're telling me it's past. Oh, no, I'm not saying that. But you're, you're saying there's a part over here that God doesn't do anymore. So that means that part of God is no longer active. So you're implying that there's parts of God's word that are no longer alive. There's parts of God's word that are no longer active. Yeah, see, see what I'm saying? The big questions are answered in the simple verses. We have to be careful. It's either alive or it's not. And then you come to another passage. Read number two with me. God's word is it's God-breathed and useful. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 16, 17, he says, All Scripture is God-breathed, and it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness. Now notice it says this. It says all Scripture is God-breathed. Well, I know this. If you go into the medical profession, if it's breathing, it's alive. Which takes you to Hebrew. You know, Hebrews, it says it's active and alive. Alive and active. So you come to this again, what you, but you're telling me there's parts of the word that no longer are happening. So you're, you're telling me there's parts that have stopped breathing. W- which parts? And how did you decide it was that part? And if it is that part, 
then how do you know other parts aren't breathing anymore? So here's what I know. If it's breathing, it's active and alive. See, it's the unintended consequence of saying, well, we don't believe in this part, and we don't share in this, and we don't do this. And I know for some of you, I'm like, I'm really going in deep. So this is a deep dive in the scripture, but it's a deep dive into the simple verses. I love the fact that God can answer big questions in such simple ways. Isn't that awesome? We think, this will confound them. You know, like a storm. Hey, there's a storm. What are we doing? God, he just, Jesus, just real simple. Peace. Nobody saw that one coming. So we read here, it's God breathe. It's active. It's a lot. And it, it doesn't say some of scripture. It doesn't say portions. It doesn't say certain verses. What's the first word? What's the second word? You know what the, you know what the word in Greek for all means? All. Everything. No exception. So how is it that certain people will begin to dismantle Scripture? Yeah, but that's not, that's not, that's not, that. And you're like, whoa, whoa. Uh, you're actually contradicting a very basic Scripture that says it's all God-breathed. And you're telling me now God's out of breath. When did that happen? I don't be that, I'm not being sarcastic. I'm not trying to be arrogant. I'm not trying to say I'm smarter, more brilliant. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying... These are very simple verses. Do you understand when you go some of these directions, the verses that you are dismantling? And it's no wonder we're seeing so many shifts in American Christianity away from Scripture because whatever you do with some of these allows you to do whatever you want. Anytime Scripture gets uncomfortable, dismantle it. Well, that takes away half my job. See, because I comfort the afflicted, and then I afflict the comfortable. We come to church not to just be told uh, what I already believe and I'm in agreement. We come to church so that we can be stretched and challenged. I'm not here to beat anybody over the head with a billy club and say, listen, it's my way or the highway. My idea is to get things in front of you so that you process and that you think and you have the chance to reflect and go home and research. And, you know, because I believe in this thing called the Holy Spirit will talk to you. Okay? I know that once I'm done preaching, he'll keep talking. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Have you ever laid on your bed and just told, God, please let me sleep? And God says, no, I'm having a conversation with you right now, and we're not going to let you sleep until you resolve it. All right, whatever I need. You know, he's like, please let me sleep. What do I need to confess? What do I need to do? What do I need to promise? What do I... Just let me. I love God. He just, just dogs you. Number three, read it out loud. God's word. So when Jesus was being tempted, Jesus responded to this in Matthew 4, 4. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we have a spirit man that thrives, that is fed by the word of God. And what you notice here again is a very basic and simple word. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. It doesn't say some, it doesn't say portions. It doesn't say certain aspects. It doesn't say just a paragraph. or it's How many? It says every word. And so again, when people start to dismantle the scriptures, and especially in the area of supernatural, you go, so help me to understand, are you saying that Jesus was wrong? Because he said every word. He said every word feeds my spirit man. He said that every word that God spoke from his mouth Feeds my spirit, man. You're now telling me there are portions of Scripture that no longer feed me. 
Which passages are those? See, we make these sweeping statements and sweeping changes, and we don't understand the implications of what we're saying. Sometimes, if you take the wrong approach, you're basically saying, Jesus didn't tell the whole truth. I don't know about you, but I ain't going there. See, we can, you say, well, I never said that. Yeah, but you can imply it by how you practice your faith. Yeah, I don't go there. I, that's just uncomfortable. Yeah, I don't think that's for us today. Oh, so Jesus is telling us to eat something that we don't want to eat, and we have the right not to eat. Oh, see, I, no matter how old you get, you still learn to like things because when you... If, if you don't learn to eat right, you deprive yourself of minerals and vitamins that could affect your physical health. And every parent, well, a lot of parents, I won't say every parent, most parents know the challenge of trying to get your kids to eat right because they love, i got to watch whatever cereal I mentioned because, you know, I'm going to feel, Cheerios! You know, and you start putting fruits and vegetables, and so there's consequences for not eating right. And no matter how old you get, you still have to learn to keep a balanced diet. Can some of those who identify with that challenge say amen? So I, I gotta, I'm going to give you a little insight. So I'm still acquiring a taste for something. Even though I liked it when I was told what it was, it set me back. I never have liked Brussels sprouts. Just never have. And I never understood people who like Brussels sprouts. I didn't even want to be around people who had Brussels sprouts on their breath. I was like, you got to be kidding me. How in the world can you possibly eat that stuff? I'm a spinach guy. You know, I was raised on Popeye. So the other day, my wife fixed this salad. I'm the guy who inspects, you know, is there anything in there that I can recognize? And it just looked, you know, looked really good. I, I, I ate it. It was really, really good. Had a second bowl. Really, really good. And, she, and I said, man, this is really good. Where did you get this? Uh, you've never made it. She said, I bought it. It's pre-mixed. I said, oh. I said, what is it? She goes, it's kale. <laughs> they call it sweet kale salad. I don't like kale. I said, well, man, there's this stuff in there that's really crunchy, and it's good. She goes, yeah, those are Brussels sprouts. <laughs> I had a problem. See, I liked it. So now my brain is kicking in going, yeah, but you don't like that stuff. You know, sometimes you struggle with people who even like that stuff you struggle with. And I'm like, oh, man. So... You know, sometimes God's word hits us that way. We're like, oh, hallelujah, praise God. And he goes, that's you. Uh, wait a minute, Jesus. I was praising you because I thought that applied to them. You know, I'm not praising you because you're telling me that that applies to me. Yeah, that's you. Oh. See, it's designed to give us life, all of it. So here's the thing. Any, anything I start... Now notice he said everywhere, anything that I start to eliminate from God's word will cause a deficiency in my spiritual man. I don't know when it will show up, I don't know how it will show up, but it will show up. Because he wouldn't have put it there unless it was critical to my health. 
So there's a challenge. All of it is designed to give me life. Number four, read it out loud. God's word works in conjunction with... See, we read this in Ephesians 6, verse 17, 18. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. And everybody read that next phrase. Which is the word of God. Let's just pause there. So, there are camps that say, are you a word person or are you a Holy Spirit person? If you're a word person, I'm there. But if you're part of that wacko group that's the spirit people, that's where I check out on you, man. And I go, wait, wait, wait. According to the word, it says the word and his spirit are one. When did we think that we could divide the camps? Yeah, there's Pentecostals who need to get more informed about the word. They've got the right idea that there's a spirit to engage. But the people of the word also need to recognize that you need the spirit in order to understand the word and to implement the word. It is an American ideology that we divided and made the camps. In God's world, he says, they are one and the same. And who gave you permission to make that division? It says right there, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It is both. And then he goes on to say, and pray in the spirit on all occasions. Did you know the apostle Paul would not be allowed to preach that verse in a number of churches today? They would just say, if, if you're going to, our people aren't ready for that. They're just not quite there. Well, that's why God gave them a pastor. <laughs> it's time for some Brussels sprouts <laughs> and some kale. And you're going to love it. <laughs> Pray in the Spirit. Oh. See, we. Paul, just say, by the Spirit, but you know that in the Spirit implies some things that, you know, we're just not quite there. Well, that shows you that we still all are on a journey to grow and to develop. Okay, stop getting the mentality that I've arrived, now let's see how much of the Scripture you can get to agree with me. Whoa, no, we grow and we develop. In our walk. And then he goes, with this in mind, be alert and always keep on prayer. Wow, he's saying actually prayer is a lifestyle. It's constant. So, number five, let's read this out loud. The Holy Spirit, it's key to our growth. And we're going to look at a series of scriptures here. And we're slowing them down because they're popular verses. Many of you will know them if you've been a part of the bridge. For some of you, this may be new. But Please don't say, well, I don't like what you had to say. I just read the Bible. Okay? I read it and slow it down so that we understand what's being said. And it's pretty clear. It's just sometimes we read the Bible fast because we've already made up our minds. And so we're not looking for new input and new information. And we just fly through it. And when we read something that agrees with us, that's when we slow down. We never slow down and just, oh, I haven't practiced that or I, don't, I haven't done that. So this is one of those. Brothers, this is Paul. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. Oh, man, how many know that would hurt? You guys don't live by the Spirit. Now look at this. But as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. He is saying, You've accepted Jesus, but you have yet to learn how to live by the Spirit. 
Come on. Some of you are going, oh, about that. Well, let me, let me read it to you again. I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are really mere infants in Christ. It is possible to have accepted Jesus and not live by the Spirit. Oh. See, there's people who say, well, I think you just get the whole ball of wax when you ask Jesus in your heart. No, that's coming out of the starting blocks. you got a long race to run, man. Just because you took the first, yeah, you, you're going the right direction, you're in the right lane, and you're going the right, you know, but you got a race to run. Part of that race is learning to live by the Spirit. That doesn't happen just on day one. So we recognize there is a journey that needs to happen in relationship to the Holy Spirit. Oh, I got more, don't worry. Here, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 and, and through 12, this portion. This is Paul. He says, these are, the things that, that God, these are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. Oh, His Spirit. Now, because we know His Spirit and His Word are one, this Word informs me about how the Spirit works, what the Spirit does, what the Spirit prefers, so that I can look in life and recognize when it's the Spirit and when it's not the Spirit. Because I have the Word to learn His personality. Okay? The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. So God says you need to do more than just learn my word, you need to learn my Spirit. Now, I've used this illustration before, but I'll remind you, guys who are married, how many know what the look from your wife means? There are a lot of guys who did not lift their hand. You are cowards. Okay. Your children... If you, are, if you have children, you've had this conversation at some point. You get in the vehicle, whether it be at church, you know, you get in the vehicle, your school activities, some, some, some family gathering or whatever, you get in the car and you go, hey, didn't you see me looking at you? <laughs> yeah. And as a parent, you go, and what exactly did you think that meant? <laughs> and, the, and, and the kid will go, Obviously, there was a whole paragraph that I missed here. <laughs> but even as parents, we expect our children to recognize us well enough that a look in public, an eye contact here, listen, they know when we catch them at an awards banquet and they've, been an, and they've received an award, you can make eye contact with them. And that kid will sit there and go, my dad and mom are proud of me. Never heard the words, but they know the look. And again, many times afterwards, you have the chance to say something. They know. 
And God's telling us the same way. You have the ability to learn His Spirit. The Bible helps you to recognize what the activity of the Holy Spirit looks like and what it prefers and what He does so that when you're in real life, you go, yeah, I know that's God. Oh, I know that's not God. Because as I read His Word, that's not in the character of the Holy Spirit to do that. Let's read on. Verses 13 and 14. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Man, I'd love to hear the Apostle Paul preach that in churches today. There are church leaders who would make their way to the front. We really appreciate the Apostle Paul speaking on the text, the 1 Corinthians, but... We're just going to wrap it up today. They would shut him down so fast when he preached this. Because it says what? Words taught by the Spirit. Spirit taught words. Ooh. Wow, there's another dimension of God's activity out there that we do grow into. Now, some people will, and again, people will say, man, I just can't go there, Pastor. Or I'm just not with you. Or is another a religious leader who will say, bless God, I'm glad he's done that for you, but I can't go there. I know you really believe that, but I, you know, man, I'm just sorry. I, I just can't weigh in with you on that. I understand that. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God. It doesn't say they haven't had Jesus in their heart because I just read a verse to you that it is possible to have Jesus in your heart, but not accepting of the things of the Spirit. But considers them foolishness. And cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. See, that's like me telling somebody, if I'm, if I'm with somebody and, they, and I said, hey, uh, my wife says we need to go. She didn't walk over here and talk to you. I know that, but I saw the look. Well, I, I saw her look over here. She looked just fine. To you. <laughs> to you. Um, is everything all right? I don't know. We're going to find out. I'm just telling you. She gave me the look that says, we're leaving. Oh, man. Okay. All right. I hope we're... See, they're sitting there, and they don't know that. Why don't they know that? Because they don't know her like I know her. See, people try to get to know God without knowing his spirit. That's an impossibility. In fact, I'll show you the danger that happens as a result of that. This is 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16. This is Peter writing about the Apostle Paul. And while he's addressing another issue, he kind of brushes up against something that the Apostles uh, seem to uh, hold as a, as a belief in their teachings. And so look at this. And I put the word Paul in parentheses because I was trying to describe the word he so you know who he is. He, meaning Paul, writes the same way in all of his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. I just pause there. Thank God even the Apostle Peter had a hard time following the Apostle Paul and what he was saying. I don't know about it. Doesn't that just bring you comfort? You just read, you know, you're reading Romans and Corinthians, and you're like, whoa, and you're just like, that's all right. I'm just like the Apostle Peter. He had the same problem. Man, he's just sometimes hard to process. But he goes, which ignorant and unstable people distort 
as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. What you notice here is this. They know the Bible, but they know the Bible apart from God's Spirit. And apart from His Spirit, it gets distorted. See, we, we all know that there are cults out there who are doing severe damage to people, and they will say that they are using the same Bible that we use. And that can create a dilemma in Main Street where people sometimes have no faith orientation and they go, so what do you think about those people who quote the same verses that you do and we see them doing these awful things? They're using your Bible as a destructive tool to justify what they're doing. And I go, I know. And let me tell you the difference between them and us. I said, the difference is this. That's what happens when people don't have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It's legalism, and it can turn destructive, and it has. I can assure you they have no relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's what happens. And I'll give you a biblical example of that. Don't forget that Satan quoted God's word to Jesus during his temptation. And he, quote, he didn't distort. He did not take one word out of context. He said it accurately. What was the problem? It, the quoting of the verse was not by the Holy Spirit. That verse was quoted and used by an evil spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, man, the Bible cannot accomplish what it was intended to do. Remember, God said His Word and His Spirit are one. We are the ones who created the different camps. That never existed in the Bible. We did it because we needed to feel good about ourselves, about certain aspects that we found discomforting. I don't know what to do it. I know what I'll do. I just won't buy into it anymore. Number six, last one. Promise, no addendums, no appendix, no part two. I'm not going to have a, no, no sneak attack closings. Here we go. Read it out loud. The Holy Spirit. Why is the Holy Spirit so key? Because we need it to be able to do what He's called us to do. I have read this verse multiple times over the years here at the bridge. If you've been a part of the bridge, you're, you know, you're going to hear me start talking, you're going to go, oh yeah. He beats that verse pretty regularly. And it's true because it speaks so relevantly to where it calls. Listen, all Scripture, all Scripture is God-breathed. But in seasons, you find that certain passages have more ap application than other verses because of what's unfolding in front of you. And this is one of those verses that I think is absolutely critical for us as followers of Christ as we see this desupernaturalization thing happening. We need this, this verse kind of like, it's like God knew that was coming and said, let me, let me give you something concise. Look at this. This is Paul. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human testimony as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Now, hey, we know from the Apostle Peter, he absolutely was capable of being eloquent, right? Even Peter said, I struggle trying to understand where, you know, is, he, he's, 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 he's wise. 
And he goes, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. We know he could do that. The, even the apostle Peter said, man, it stretches me when I hear this guy talk and teach and write. But with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Everybody say that. Spirit's power. Let's read that last part together. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on... Did you know that our faith rests on God's activity? It rests on God's power. When we dismantle the supernatural as it relates to God, we got to understand we're dismantling the foundation that holds our faith up. And consequently, now we're in a season where we're watching churches literally roll the Bible out the door, saying, not here anymore. We don't believe that. We don't practice that. We're enlightened. We're woke. We're different. We're this. We're that. Our faith rests on God's supernatural power. I'm not going to tell you that God always does what I ask for, but I know this. He is beyond my experience, but I cannot put God inside of all of my experiences. But I know this. God's done enough for me that I do know that he's capable of anything. And it's my job to do the asking. It's his job to decide how to answer. And if you're a parent, you understand that. Your kid knows that you have something. Your kid knows that you have the ability to make something happen. And you say, not now. No, you can't do that. And they know you can. And they're just like, I don't understand. It's well within the range of your ability to do this. And what's your problem? And you go, well, I have a concern here and that. And they go, well, why? And you, so you explain it some more. And then they go, well, why that? And you just explain it some more. And then why that? And you're like, I, can you tell I've had two grandsons over the last few days? Why? 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 And then you say the words you swore that you would never say because I said so. And then it is then that you realize that your parents' DNA has manifested through your behavior and you, 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 almost, you almost do the walk of shame down the hallway. I just became my parents. I said I would never do that, and I did. Hardest thing for us to understand is when we ask, and we ask, and we why, we why, 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 God says, because I said so. You can't do that. Now your faith, now you find out whether your walk with him is based on faith or not. Do I still trust him when I know he could have? Do I trust him even when I think he should have? Do I trust him? Yeah. Don't doubt. God's activity. He can do it again. And everybody said amen. Come on, let's stand to our feet as we wrap up the service. Can you just lift your hands? Come on, I want you to praise Him right now for the activity of the Holy Spirit. Come on, praise Him because it's the Holy Spirit that makes the Word a reality in and through us and around us. Come on, church. We can give Him praise for 30 seconds right now.